scripture. Our scripture lesson today as we continue to focus on um, characters from Genesis starts at chapter 29, verse 15. This picks up the story of Jacob as he is uh, going to be meeting Rachel and uh, leading to marriage and a lot of other things that will follow that we won't read about today. So I'm only going to read a few verses today at 29 verses, chapter 29, verses 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages will be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, as you gave Jacob the power to roll a stone from out in front of the mouth of a well, give me the power to tell this story in a way that it can be heard and give us the power to hear it, that in that process it all may become your word to us today. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Many years ago, I became aware of a well-known sermon called The Power to See It Through. It was about a little-known character in the New Testament named Demas, who signed up enthusiastically with the apostles, who stuck with them quietly over time, but then who fell away from the movement because in Paul's words... Demas was in love with the present world. The sermon acknowledged that many of us like the power, lack the power or discipline to see things through. Demas being the primary example. This week's title plays off that sermon on Demas. The power to wait it out is not about Demas, but rather it is about Jacob. What I see in Jacob, among many other traits, some of which are questionable, is the power to wait things out. We call that power patience. As you may recall from two weeks ago, I said that with the exception of Jonah, there is no more comically flawed character in the Bible than Jacob. While Jacob is still in the birth canal with his twin brother Esau, Jacob grabs hold of Esau's heel, seeking to replace Esau as the firstborn before the birth ever happens. As young, as young adults, Jacob steals his brother's birthright. When their elderly father Isaac is near death, Jacob deceives Isaac into giving him the family blessing 
instead of Esau, who his firstborn would normally receive it. The shorthand on Jacob is that he steals his brother's birthright and steals his brother's blessing. That is why he's initially named Jacob, which means the supplanter, the one who takes the place of Yet as, I, as I've studied Jacob in recent years and especially in recent months, I've come across a more positive or even heroic assessment of Jacob than simply as a trickster or con artist. So follow me along here through the early part of his story. After Jacob commits his second deception against his brother Esau, the theft of blessing. Esau issues a death threat, and Jacob has to flee the country to their, to, to their mother's brother Laban. Laban lives in the land of Canaan, a land that has been promised to the people of Israel, but which they have not yet received. As soon as Jacob arrives in Canaan, before he even finds Laban, he does what all travelers do. He goes to the well at the center of the village. There Jacob immediately encounters Rachel, who ironically is Laban's daughter and who is bringing Laban's sheep to the well for water. When Jacob sees Rachel, he is overtaken with strength and energy. The well has a massive stone covering its opening, so large that, that the shepherds have to join together to move the stone out of the way so that the sheep can receive water. But when Jacob sees Rachel, he single-handedly rolls the stone from the well's mouth. Then he kisses Rachel. Then he weeps. With this action, Jacob becomes the first person in the Bible to tear up. He becomes the first person in the Bible to initiate a romantic kiss. And he becomes the first person both to kiss and to tear up at the same time over the same person out of the same sense of love, what we call love at first sight. Jacob then tells Rachel that he's her father's kinsman, the son of her father's sister, Rebecca. With similar, with similar energy, Rachel then runs to tell her father. When Laban hears this story, he too is energized to run to meet Jacob. Laban embraces Jacob and kisses him. And Laban brings into his home this traveler with whom he shares both blood and native land. This traveler who has fallen head over heels in love with his younger daughter. This traveler who brings great strength, great energy, great love. Surely you are my bone and my flesh, Laban says. Jacob then stays with Laban for a month. Soon Laban initiates a conversation. Acknowledging that Jacob needs to be paid for all this work he is doing around the family compound. Jacob then says, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, it is better that I give her to you than to any other man. Stay with me. 
But as we shall soon see, and as, as our Jacob has alluded to, it takes a trickster to know a trickster. <laughs> Laban actually sows seeds of deception and trickery by what he leaves out, the words he doesn't say in this plan. But with his acceptance of this offer, Jacob becomes the first person depicted in the Bible who loves someone and then seeks to marry rather than marries and then hopes for love to develop. Jacob also becomes the first worker in the Bible in the sense that he is the first person to work for someone else for pay. He works seven years for Laban, living in Laban's house, Carrying out Laban's instructions day to day. And in the process, the two of them become quite prosperous. Which benefits all immigrant communities in a foreign land. Yet as Jacob is working for Laban. He is also and more importantly working for Rachel. Laban may hold the power of supervision and assignment of work, but Rachel is the reason for Jacob's work. Freud once said that the two central concerns of life are love and work. In Jacob, these go hand in hand. Jacob's work is saturated with the idea, the dream, the hope, the reality of Rachel. But on the night Jacob... And Rachel are married. Jacob the deceiver finds out that he has been deceived by his uncle Laban. Since Leah is the firstborn. Entitled to marry first. Laban secretly slips her into the marital bed. Bonding Jacob to her as well. When Jacob confronts Laban about this, why have you done this to me? Laban answers, this is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me seven more years. Now, Jacob is stuck, but he does not hesitate. He works for Laban the first seven years for Rachel, and then he works for Laban the second seven years for Rachel as well. All the while, he is married also to Leah. And as we shall see sort of in sermons on Rachel and Leah, these years are hard for everyone in the family. They are like reality TV, including the 12 sons and one daughter that are born to Leah and Rachel and their two surrogates. During these years. But as we try to keep up with this complicated story. At least one question may arise for us. Where does Jacob get this power to wait it out? What gives Jacob the patience to wait two seven year periods For the fullness of marriage 
with Rachel. Where does Jacob get such patience? After Jacob initially receives Rachel, the narrator adds a beautiful statement. The seven years seemed to Jacob but a few days because of the love he had for Rachel. With this one sentence, Jacob is acknowledged by the narrator of Genesis as the first person in the Bible to experience the collapsing, the shrinking of time. The seven years that seemed but a few days. The collapsing of time is one characteristic that leads to patience. When we are patient, when we have waited, when we look back at the time we have waited, it often seems but a few days. Particularly when what we are waiting for or what we are doing involves love. Love of another person. Love of a role that God has given us. Love of a country we serve. Love of a promise that God has made. The collapsing of time often involves love of something larger and greater than ourselves. Love of a calling that we have received from God. In that way, it can help us be patient. A member of the congregation who recently retired told me recently, it was 51 years ago when I took the oath swearing to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. When I retired, this person said, a few days earlier, when I retired, all I could say is, where did the time go? Where did the time go? The collapsing of time. This past January, there was an article in the New Yorker entitled, A Philosophy Professor's Last Class. The article was written by a former student, a student who had received his Ph.D. about 20 years earlier, a former student of Dr. Richard J. Bernstein. Bernstein. The student had enrolled in the professor's last class at the New School for Social Research in New York in the spring of 1922, a year ago, to experience the professor's teaching one more time. In the course in which the former student enrolled, the seminar's first class was delayed a week because Bernstein wasn't feeling well. When I logged on to Zoom, the student said the following week, some of my classmates were already present. Bernstein was there too, but the camera was off. I wanted to explain where I am, Bernstein said. I'm actually in the hospital. They've sent me back here because I don't get enough oxygen. 
We may be interrupted by nurses or doctors, but I decided that we should move on. There's no reason not to continue the class. As the class neared its end a few months later in May, this former student joined Bernstein and his wife Carol in their apartment in New York for the final Zoom session. At the end of that session, in his last few minutes of teaching, Bernstein praised his students and said to them, Nobody has the last word. I hope that all of you will incorporate that into your lives. Good luck. He then signed off Zoom and turned to his wife, Carol. That's it, my love. That's it. The next Saturday, Bernstein turned 90 years old. He spent the next several weeks grading papers. That never ends for teachers. On the first day of July in 2022, he officially was retired by the new school. He went to a house in the Adirondacks, which he and Carol had built decades before. His family joined him. One night before going to bed, he said to his daughter, Today was a perfect day. And he died on the morning of July 5th, 4th. The seven years seemed to Jacob but a few days because of his love for Rachel. The 70 years seemed to Dr. Richard J. Bernstein but a few years because of the love he had for teaching. The 51 years of service our member gave to our nation raced by because of the love of serving our nation and its constitution. Each of these people experienced the collapsing of time that love brings. Each had patience. Each lived with joy. Each received the power in times that are tough, the power to wait it out. And each was committed to fulfilling the role and the purpose that they believed and had come to realize that God had sketched for them in God's created, fallen, but redeemed earth. Amen.